Support for a quick timeout podcast is brought to you by our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. College and professional teams from around the country rely on Dr. Dish shooting machines to help improve their players' development. Whether it's in the gym or at home in your driveway, Dr. Dish will improve your basketball workouts. To find out more about how Dr. Dish can help your program, visit drdishbasketball.com. We're privileged today to be joined by UCLA Bruins women's basketball coach, Corey Close. Coach, I really appreciate you working with me to make this happen. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Uh, Anyone who wants to uh, remember and talk about and learn from John Wooden, I'm all in. Yeah, this particular series is devoted to Coach Wooden, but one of the things I'm wanting guests to do is to talk about their own personal journeys, as well as kind of the stories maybe that, that lead into talking about Coach Wooden. So I'll start with your journey to UCLA, the head coach job there, and maybe even before that too, you can speak to, but that journey looks like what? Well, you know, I I played, um, I'm I'm from California, I'm from Northern California, and I actually was not that great of a basketball player. I was good enough, um, but I was actually a soccer player. But at that time, there weren't very many scholarships for soccer, and my family uh, couldn't afford to send me to college unless I got a scholarship. So I I went to the basketball route and uh, ended up getting a scholarship to UC Santa Barbara and played there and had a great experience. I worked for a, an amazing man and uh, worked for and played for Mark French. And then uh, at that time, there weren't all these practice facilities and great pickup games. So I went to as many get good pickup games. And one of those was UCLA. And I, I went with that intention, but I remember walking through their Hall of Fame and <clears throat> looking at all the things about John Wooden and just being in awe. And, I, you know, but I, I really didn't know how that was going to come to fruition. Well, I went to, I graduated, and because I had worked that camp, Kathy Olivier was the assistant at that time, but then she got the head job and really took a chance on a young punk like myself. And it was, it was a restricted earnings position at that time. What that meant is you worked full time, but you only got paid $16,000 was the max you could get paid. And myself and Steve Lavin was the other one on the men's side and uh, had a chance to be the restricted earnings coach at uh, UCLA. How lucky am I? And uh, we can go into my first introduction to John Wooden, UC Santa Barbara, coached there for nine years. Then I went to uh, Florida State and was uh, assistant coach there for seven years and then got the head job at UCLA. And this is now my, I just finished my ninth season. So uh, it's a little bit, a little bit amazing to feel like it came full circle that way. So very humbled and very grateful. Yeah, you mentioned your first meeting with him. What, what was that like that first time that you met him? Well, thank goodness for Steve Lavin. I, was, I, I told Steve, I knew he went often, and I told him uh, that I really wanted to go with him sometime, but I was a little bit afraid of when he was going to ask because I was already nervous about it. But thank goodness uh, Steve said, you don't have a choice. It was a Tuesday night. We're going tonight. And I go, wait, I'm in sweats. I'm not dressed appropriately. I was just finding any excuse because I was so nervous. And he goes, no, you're going. Um, We're leaving at, you know, five o'clock. And we drove up to Encino. We had dinner up there. I was with two other uh, high school coaches at the time. And and then we uh, walked into his place. And I remember, um, you know, his little apartment, we, we come in and you look up at his balcony and he waves at you and lets you in. And then you take this elevator up 
and you go into this hallway and he comes out of his apartment and he welcomes you in. And I was in the back and he sort of, because I was the only female, he sort of looked past and he just goes, who are you? And I was like, ah. and he, I said, Corey Close. And my name had like 10 syllables because I was stuttering. And he goes, come here, how do you spell that? And I said, C-O-R-I. And he goes, oh, come with me. And he walked me into his apartment and right outside his den, there was this little bench and it said C-O-R-I. And he said, you're the first person I've ever met um, that spells it like my great granddaughter, Corey. And uh, Corey and I are friends to this day. And, uh, and it was just, I was like, I told my parents, if you had spelled it C-O-R-E-Y, I might not have ever been met. All it takes is listening to the former players talk about Coach Wooden to know the impact that he had on the lives of those people outside of basketball. And from what I can tell, I've heard you say elsewhere that that idea of transformational leadership has really impacted you as a coach. So can you speak to that and maybe how Coach Wooden influenced that? Well, you know, it's never, uh, it was really never about the games for Coach Wooden. You know, that, that was, and you know, it's been widely documented that it was always about, that was his test of how well uh, he was teaching um, the game. But I remember one day we were talking about coaching and, and literally I, I was spent 15 years with him and was so fortunate to have extended time. And he um, rarely wanted to talk about games. You know, it just was so low on the priority list. It was a byproduct of everything else that was most meaningful. But I did get him to talk about, um, you know, building a program one time. And uh, he gave me several pieces of advice. But the first one, um, but he never called it advice. He says, I don't give advice. I only share my opinion. His opinion was, remember that you're really not coaching basketball. You're coaching people's hearts. And just never forget that you're coaching people's hearts. And if you really um, live that way consistently, it will eventually spill out into their habits on the court and how they treat each other. But never lose sight that it's really about their hearts. And I think that's what you hear from all the alumni, right? Mm -hmm. Is that their hearts are different. Mm -hmm. Their lives are different. Um, you know, I've shared this story many times, but my fourth day on the job, and I had met a lot of John Wooden's, uh, you know, uh, alumni through the years, and I had not met John Valley. And he walks into my office and all I knew is that he was the dribble for the cure guy, a community service thing that I needed to be a part of. And, and I, I was overwhelmed. I hadn't hired a staff yet. I don't know what's going on. So I sit down about as far as you and I are like this. And, and he just launches into, I've been married 38 years because of what Coach Wooden taught me. I've started three successful businesses because of what Coach Wooden taught me. I've conquered cancer three times because of the strength Coach Wooden gave me. And then he really got me. He said, and I survived the death of my 12-year-old daughter, Erin, because of the way Coach Wooden loved me. And he pretty much walked out and said, welcome to the family, Corey, and I'll see you at Dribble for the Cure. And I ran over to my computer. I looked him up. And turns out he had, was the starting guard on two of Coach Wooden's national championship teams. And he played eight years in the NBA. But he never even mentioned it because it paled in comparison to the man he became. And, and I just think that's really what made Coach Wooden legendary. You know, it was really never about him. And it was about creating transformational experiences for the young men that he had an opportunity to supervise and to teach. And so 
I think number one, taking yourself and your ego out of the mix, that made him unique. Number two, um, he also used to say, remember when you build a program, make sure it's not just for, even just for your women's basketball program, make sure it's also for the athletic department. Oh wait, and also the university. Oh wait, and also the banker, the baker, the community that surrounds that place. And in none of those criteria were, was he involved. It was truly other centered. How many people can I touch? How many people can I serve? How can I use this opportunity through sport to make a difference? And he didn't, it didn't matter if he was teaching English, coaching basketball, or, you know, baseball was his real love. You know, if it wasn't that, he just wanted to use those opportunities to teach people, but more than that, to serve people. Andy Hill, who played for Coach in the 70s, said that he became close with Coach Wooden in that latter part of his life. It was different because they were adults and they were they were friends. Whereas, you know, as a player, there's always that like balance between too friendly, you know, being their coach, being their leader, being the person that's over them, especially for young coaches, have a hard time sometimes balancing the two of those. And I know you, just from listening to you, you really <laughs> want to have an impact in your players' lives. And you do want to be a friend to them, but you don't want to kind of cross that so that you're yeah. too friendly. Like what, what kind of advice do you have and even maybe observing him and the impact that he had with you as an adult, but then <laughs> also understanding that you're, you're leading these young women who do need maybe more of a mentor in their life. Right. Well, I think it's important to define friendship and direction. So I think that it's okay for me to be a friend to my players. It's not okay for them to be a friend to me. And what I mean by that is that I am, it's okay to meet their needs and what they need from a mentor, what they need from an adult in their life. But what I, I think some coaches cross the line when they are relying on the response or the relationship from a student athlete to meet their emotional needs. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's where you get sort of discombobulated. So it really has to be about the service of their hearts and, and really taking your own. I, I think we all need to be self-aware and make sure our own needs get met, but it shouldn't be from the student athletes or from the people that we coach or teach. And so I think that's a real important distinction. And, he, and Coach wouldn't really live that. You know, he was constantly being a, a mentor, a father figure, a constant in his players' lives outside of the hardwood. But you never um, saw him relying on them to, you know, meet his needs when he had a disappointing day, when his wife passed, when what up, the, all the things in his life that um, took place. And I, I think that's where you really have to check your ego and your intentions and go, okay, if this is really about serving other people, then you have to be very careful to have that boundary that you're not, you manage an expectation of how they meet your needs. Um, and I also think that how you structure your program, I, I think that he just structured everything he did to really come alongside. And I mean, even after he was done coaching, it was about, I mean, it didn't matter what sport. I mean, the amount of people that came through his apartment in Encino in the, just the short time I knew him, uh, it was all walks of life. It was educators, coaches, politicians, GMs of organizations. It was CEOs of companies, you know. And, and so I think that, you know, if you really want to have a great mentorship and impact, you got to have your intentions right and you got to manage your expectations correctly. Most have heard the story about the first day of practice, him making the players put the socks on the right way. And I sp mm -hmm. it speaks just to the, the importance of the details. And I've heard you talk about how the details are important, so much so that you care about those 
most of the time more than the results and that the, you know, the old adage, the results will take care of themselves. What does that look like in your mm. program? And how have you found that to be something that's not just an adage, but something that's really true? Yeah, I'm, I'm big on, you know, we don't need sayings up on the walls. We need sayings in, in the way that our hands and feet and the way we live. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, you know, even sugarcoat it. That's hard. You know, it's much easier to talk about than it is to live. And, you know, the reality is, and sometimes you don't get rewarded right away on the court. You know, sometimes, you know, Andy Hill's a great example. I mean, he, he didn't get rewarded until much later in his life, all those lessons that he would, that he knew he was learning, but he didn't at the time, it was harder, right? When he played for him, as you referenced. Um, but I think, you know, a commitment is a commitment. People ask me all the time if there was one thing I learned from Coach Wooden, and the biggest thing I say is that he lived in line with his principles, no matter if he got rewarded or not. It was such consistency. This is what I believe to be true. This is how I want to align my life and my habits, and this is what I do. And, you know, I think um, that just amazed me, his consistency in that. But I'm not going to tell coaches that it's easy to do or that I haven't struggled with it at times. You know, I remember when I first took the job at UCLA, um, it was uh, summer and a little bit of summer and a little bit of fall. But three of my players that would have started had season ending injuries. I had an Achilles tear and two ACLs and they're gone. And all of a sudden I'm like, you know, I had really thought about this job and I, I, I didn't think it was a rebuild. I thought I could go in and put my stamp on it, but then here we are. I mean, and then two years late, I, the next year we go to the NCAA tournament, we lose in the second round to Oklahoma. And then the next year, um, I literally had so many injuries that um, most of the time we practiced with like four players. I had three players that only played in games. And, and you know, you're, you're, you believe in all these things, but, man, sometimes it's really hard to hold on to that. Um, and so I think really what, you know, uh, we always say in our program, and one of my assistant coaches, uh, Shannon uh, LaBeouf, is so good about this. She always says our commitments, not our feelings, will determine our destiny. And if I want to be able to uh, look back on a season and go, I was committed to the process. I was committed to who they were becoming and who they were impacting more so than I was committed to the W's and L's at the end of the day. I got to live that. And I, I would say to coaches, surround yourself people, um, truth tellers that will remind you because we all forget and we all forget and we're all tempted to, to lose sight. But I think the big thing for me is that, um, you know, surround yourself with people that can remind you and know that over time, it, it really will come to pass. Is there maybe uh, any Coach Wooden story that either you haven't told before or even something about Coach that people who weren't close to him would be interested to know about him? Oof. Yeah, I'll tell, I'll tell one that I don't think it's told as much. It has nothing to do with basketball. I do want to say one other thing about the adages. Um, I think that this year when the NCAA tournament got canceled, I was really grateful that I cared more about the process or the journey than the destination. I was really grateful that um, I had players that had committed to realizing, because I always tell them all the time, that, you know, even, even if you win a national championship, banners hang in gyms. Even if you get a championship ring, they collect dust. But the only two things that are going to stay with you for the rest of your life from this experience is who you become and who you impact. 
And Coach Wooden taught me that. And that's, that's pretty much all he wanted to do is he wanted to invest in players and people that, in something that would last. And he, he was the first to say, like he thought signing autographs were so silly because he's like, who cares, you know? I mean, um, but he did it with graciousness. But, but he also, he's like, oh, the national championships, they, they just don't mean that much. I mean, the next day, it's just the substance of who you are. And he was so big on that. And, uh, and it, he lived it. And you could tell in his heart, he believed it so deeply. And at the same time, he won a whole lot. You know, 10 and 12 years is pretty darn good. So, you know, so I really do believe in it's not just an adage. But this year, it retaught my heart. Because what if, you know, I had only emphasized, you know, we had a chance to be a Final Four team last year. And, you know, we were top 10 all year, um, you know, second in the conference and the number one conference in the country. And, you know, we were rolling and uh, we were in a good spot. But what if we only valued the destination? So then I put all that work has no substance, all that time, energy, investment pouring in both by my staff and by my team. And I really thought about Coach Wooden a lot on that day that when I had to go tell our team that our season was canceled and, you know, the NCAA tournament was canceled, I thought about what would he do, you know? And I think that having a chance, I let him be in their feelings because obviously there's disappointment there. So I wanted to come alongside them. But I was just so um, thankful that uh, he was someone who valued the journey because, um, you know, I got a chance to tell our players, look at this. No one can take that away from you. No one can take away who you became this year. No one in NCAA tournament or canceling an NCAA tournament can take that away. So that's a, a long answer to, I, I just think it's pretty empty. If you put it in, if you really play it out and you don't let that be in your heart and it's just an adage, it's pretty empty when the season ends or when disappointment comes. Coach Wooden um, had this, it was one day I was over at his house and you know, you always think he was just such a loving guy and gentle guy but don't mistake it he was a fiery competitor mm -hmm. and he had an uh, insatiable quest for excellence and attention to detail and all those things but so it wasn't always easy to love people well it wasn't always easy to do things the right way when he wasn't being rewarded and um, he had this picture on his refrigerator and I asked him one day what's that picture coach and he said well See those two people, their parents were comforting this little nine-year-old boy. And the caption under the, um, under the picture was, forgiveness is freedom. And parents, those adults that are comforting that nine-year-old boy, they're comforting the little boy that just by mistake shot and killed their son. Here they were comforting this little boy who's stricken by grief because he, he killed their son. And here the parents are comforting him of the, you know, they just lost their son. And I asked coach, I said, are you having a hard time? Uh, and he goes, you know, sometimes I hold on to things and I shouldn't. And he said, and I, I have this on my refrigerator to remind myself that forgiveness is freedom. And I was just like, you know, whoa, you know? And so what it, but it did is to me, is it reminded me that coach is human and, you know, coach Wooden is as great as he was. He had battles, internal battles too. I really respected his vulnerability to be willing that that was a struggle for him sometimes. You've talked about the adages and then everybody knows the sayings. I've been asking this of guests this week and they don't like it when I do this, but I'm going to limit you. What is your favorite John Wooden quote and why is it your favorite? 
<laughs> I think that my favorite would be if you focus on the things that are not under your control, it will adversely affect the things that are under your control. And, uh, and I think that the reason it's my favorite is it's the one I've needed the most. It's the one I have needed to remind my heart and my mind uh, of because it's so easy for me to get distracted and to get worked up or to give my emotions away to things or my energy away to things that uh, really I have no control over. And so I think that's the one that I hold on to the most because that's the one that I've needed uh, to center me the most. I lied. One more question. We talked before. <laughs> we talked beforehand about just this remembering coach wooden and for the younger generation you know may not know as much just this figure but for him to be remembered what what would what would you what you saw i mean the relationship that you had and for somebody that actually spent time with him how would you want him to be remembered mm. well i want people to remember period and i so i appreciate what you're doing because you know even 2 years ago forbes magazine had a um, an article that talked about his pyramid of success still being the most widely used business motivational tool, let alone sports tool mm -hmm. in teaching. And so, um, you know, I think that I would want him to be remembered as a, a teacher of hearts. And I would want him to be remembered as um, someone who uh, truly lived his life for the sake of others. And since you asked me one more question, I'm going to steal one more quote because yeah. he said, uh, he used to say the definition of a perfect day is to give to someone else without any expectation of anything in return. Mm -hmm. And I think I would re want people to remember that he really lived that way. I mean, he really lived his days uh, of how can I influence, how can I impact, how can I give to someone else with no expectation of anything in return. And uh, it was, that was not an adage, that was not a phrase, that was something he truly lived. And so it's fun. I, I, I wanna live a lot of perfect days like that. And he really set the tone and the, the course of what that looks like for me. Um, but he's worth, it's, he's worth it, he's worth keeping that memory alive. And, and people think about his, his forum was sports, but really that was not his passion. His passion was really people. And uh, sports was just the avenue that he uh, ended up making that huge impact. But uh, I, I don't care if he was a businessman or if he was at family or however, he would have had that same impact because of his discipline and because of his heart. That's Coach Corey Close, head coach for the UCLA women's basketball team. Coach, thank you so much for taking time for us today. Thank you for having me. It's a blessing to be able to share about. Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.